Scott Thompson is an Australian herpetologist, paleontologist and taxonomist specialising in turtles of the family Chelidae. Thompson attended the University of Canberra for both his bachelor's and master's degrees in applied sciences, studying zoology and mathematics. Scott currently lives in Brazil and is a researcher at the Centre for Research of Amazonian Turtles, CEQA, uh, and this is in Manaus on the Amazon River. He is also Secretary of the IUBS Global Species List Working Group, a member of the Tortoise and Freshwater Turtle Specialist Group of the IUCN Species Survival Commission. He does maintain his ties with Australia as an adjunct of Charles Darwin University and an alumni of the University of Canberra. He is a member of the Turtle Extinctions Working Group who authored the checklist of extinct turtles of the Pleistocene and Holocene in 2015. And on Turtle Talk, we talk with Scott today. Turtles have outlived the dinosaurs. And first, we talk about the uniqueness and diversity of turtles, both past and present. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the turtles are a, an extremely ancient lineage. They're one of the oldest um, amniotes. Um, so that's animals that have a um, layer within the egg that can allow them to lay hard-shelled eggs. And... Um, they, they, they extend back to um, the Triassic period, which is before the dinosaurs even came about. So they're older than dinosaurs. And um, in fact, one way I often like to put it to students is um, that humans are closer to the extinction of dinosaurs than dinosaurs are to the rise of the turtles. Um, so that's how old they are. They've lived through two mass extinctions. Um, one in the Triassic, um, known as the Great Dying, um, which killed 95% of all the life on Earth. And then the one that took out the dinosaurs 62 million years ago. And all through that time, turtles just plodded along. They just did their thing and kept going. And um, while everything else grew and died around them. Um, and as far as the turtles of the world, I mean, in Australia, you have basically two families of turtles, um, not counting marines. Um, uh, that your classic side neck turtles that a lot of people are probably very familiar with. And of course, your one species of pig nose turtle. Um, but here in um, South America, for example, there are five families of turtles um, represented and um, including side necks, um, very similar to the Australian ones, but also another group of side necks that are related to turtles in Africa. And um, then we've also got tortoises here, the true tortoises, and um, a couple of other groups um, like um, rhinoclemmies, which is a relative of Asian turtles, surprisingly, and um, a very unusual turtle. They are basically a swamp, swampy marshland turtle. And um, then there's also the... Um, musk turtles, which are also found in the USA, um, are also here. That's, ama that's an amazing hotspot for um, 
uh, the diversity of turtles in South America. Yes, it is, um, especially here in the Amazon. Um, there's 16 species of turtles here in just this area and um, that we know of, and I think there may actually be more. But um, the turtles here are, obviously there's turtles that are very good at dealing with very big rivers. And uh, so that'll be things like the um, Podoctomus, as they're known as the Podoctomus expansa, which is one of the largest turtles in the world, um, and uh, freshwater turtles. And they are used to dealing with the expanse of the Amazon. And if you're not seeing the Amazon, um, the amount of water um, we're dealing with here is quite amazing. It's, there's more water in the Amazon than most of the rivers in Australia combined. And um, the area of land that is covered by the water here is quite insane. I mean, the river is several kilometres wide. It's not like a river in Australia where, you know, you put a bridge over it, it's only a few hundred metres across. This is several kilometres across the river. Um, and um, we have turtles that also are only found in the small rivulets and creeks that flow into the Amazon, such as um, the Rhinemis, I sent you a photo of. It's only found in these really tiny little creeks and um, doesn't go into the river at all. The tortoises, of course, are land animals, and so they're just wandering through the forests. And um, then you've got swampy regions where you'll find other types of turtles as well. And it is an extraordinarily diverse group of animals in this area. Yeah, really cool. I, I want to come back to Australian tur turtles in terms of their uniqueness. When did when did they diverge or be separated? And I always get the question, have we ever had land tortoises uh, in Australia? All right. Um, I'll do the land tortoises question first. Um, land tortoises, as you see them now in um, other parts of the world, no. They never occurred in Australia at all. However, Australia did have a group of turtles called the Mealanids that are now completely extinct um, that in a way were similar to um, modern turtle tortoises in a number of ways. They probably lived in more marshy environments, um, but uh, they are certainly structurally, they looked more like a, a tortoise than they did, say, a turtle. And they also had an armored tail with spikes on it and things like that and horns on the head. They were quite an impressive animal and quite large. They were as large as any um, Galapagos tortoise or anything like that, some of them. Um, as for divergence in Australia, um, the turtles in Australia probably diverged from South American turtles around about 130, maybe 120 million years ago. And so they have quite an extensive history. And you've got to take back the world as it was at that time. And Australia and South America were both connected to Antarctica. And so the turtles of Australia evolved from South American turtles that got there via Antarctica. So it's highly probable that there will be eventually found fossils of um, what are known as Keelidae turtles, side neck turtles in um, Antarctica as well. And they are a completely southern group of turtles. Um, they are only found in what used to be called Gondwana, 
um, and only the South America, Antarctica, Australia section of Gondwana, because um, that also includes Africa and India and things, and there's, they were never there. So it's relatively recent, and um, Australia finally split off from that group of um, land masses around 106, 103 million years ago. So they've been around that long. Next we explore what does a taxonomist do? How do you get into the uh, role of a taxonomist? And what's the difference between a, a paleontologist and a taxonomist? Okay, well, as a taxonomist, and I'm also a paleontologist, which is honestly the same thing except working with fossils. Um, as a taxonomist, I'm effectively finding and describing new species of um, animals. And um, that's one of my primary functions. I also have to look at rearranging uh, the names of animals um, when there's problems, I will also write keys. Um, if anyone's using field keys um, to turtles, they're basically written by taxonomists um, like myself. Um, and um, if you're using, for example, the 2014 Koga, the turtles um, one was lifted out of um, a paper that Arthur Georges and I wrote in 2010, and that had a whole set of keys for the turtles of Australia and um, Harold Cogger used our keys. The um, other thing I do is look at anatomy and um, especially osteology of turtles and I look at how they are structured, how, they, how their body works because I look at the differences between um, different species and how they differ and that tells me whether or not they're species. Um, we also use molecular work, um, DNA, as well and statistics. When I started um, in Australia um, as a student, I, um, we had about 19 species of turtles in Australia that were recognized and there's now around 40. Uh, so it's changed quite a lot. Uh, one of the groups that I worked on specifically, it was my thesis work was the genus Elsaia and um, it had three species when I started working, and uh, one of them was Elsaia latisternum, the other Elsaia dentata, and Elsaia novaginiae, and that was it. Since then, um, it's been split into two genera, four species going into one genus, and there's now 10 species or so in the other genus. So the number of taxa has grown, number of species has grown within that group. And I also, um, subdivided the genus Elsaia into three subgenera. And the reason for that is they are three completely different evolutionary units um, the straight and snapping turtles. And by recognizing that um, in the nomenclature, in the names, it shows that they are different and should be treated as different. So, and this moves on to ecology and conservation as well. The things necessary to look at looking after the Queensland Elsaias, for example, which are in the subgenus Pelicomastes, is different to what you would do for the ones in Northern Territory, which is the true Elsaias, Elsaia, Elsaia. Um, 
the ones in Queensland are the cloacal breathing LSAs. Um, so they need cool, fast-flowing, um, low sediment um, water to survive, whereas the ones in Northern Territory, that's not such a big issue for them. And there are other issues maybe for the ones in Northern Territory. And the stream turtles, which are only found in New Guinea, is another group in there. Um, we called them Hanwera Kellys. And they also have a completely different environment in which they live. The other two are river turtles, genuine river turtles, but Hanwera Kellys is a stream turtle. It does not occur in the very big rivers. It only occurs in the um, streams flowing into those rivers. Um, and so it's a recognition of all of these different morphologies, the different shape of the animals in the different groups, how to key them apart so that everyone can identify them. Also tells you things about their ecology. Um, you can predict the ecology from the morphology and that can also lead to how you can conserve species. So it all ties together in the end. Taxonomy is vital for conservation. Defining a species determines its range, which then in turn determines how, many, how much resources and conservation actions are required um, to save a critically endangered species. Here Scott goes into more detail about this. Well, one of the important things is that um, under the legislation in most countries, and this goes for Australia as well, if a species does not have um, a name, a formal scientific name, description, it is actually genuinely difficult to um, manage it um, legally, as in it's hard to have it listed. There are mechanisms around it, but it's complicated and it's much easier to at least get things started if the species has a name. It's also important to know the boundaries of the species. And um, if you're going to conserve Let's use the uh, Maya Kelly's group as an, as an example, the Bellinger. And um, you need to know it's only found in the Bellinger because that's an important conservation aspect as well. And so part of taxonomy is looking at the entire distribution of each species. So we look at where the boundary is, where it stops. And um, that is needed for even IUCN assessments and things like that, registering. Um, or um, the types of river that um, each species occur in is bound by its actual physical boundaries as well. And uh, this is also important information to carry on to conservation. The um, anatomy of the species, uh, for example, realizing that uh, the Pelicomastes and Maya Kellys are all um, cloacal breathers or bum breathers as people call them um, tells you a lot about what their requirements are if these species are relying on that and this is an anatomical feature then you need to have your environment uh, clean enough and, and um, looked after well enough to enable species that have those modes of breathing to, to live honestly and of course, also, you have, it comes into nesting as well. Um, we can work out from the anatomy, the breeding cycles and stuff of every, 
each of these species. And so we know when you need to have clear, clear um, nesting banks and um, things like that for conservation. And yes, the ecologists will go out and look at them in the, in the wild, but they can use a lot of this extra information that comes in from the taxonomy to assist at least developing their um, hypotheses and how they can possibly save this species, which goes on to management. Taxonomy isn't an exact science, and there's been some fierce debates in the scientific community about what defines a species. Let's hear from Scott about how issues or disagreements should be resolved. Well, I'll say how it should be resolved, and honestly, it's actually very simple. And um, what you do, if if the work you're interested in is going to be um, actually dealing with taxonomy, actually doing nomenclature, actually assigning names, and you have gone out and looked at the type specimens, which is the original specimen used to describe the species, and you're doing that type of work, you can use whatever nomenclature, whatever set of names fits with the hypotheses you're presenting, and you... Um, back it up with the data that you present. If that's not the type of work you're doing, everyone else should be using what is the accepted international list of these species. And currently with turtles, there are three that I would recommend. And one is the Turtle Taxonomy Working Group, uh, who put out a checklist of turtles, use them. Um, slightly more updated all the time is Reptile Database, because um, they release a new version every four months, whereas Turtle Taxonomy Working Group does it about every two years. So there will be a little bit of difference between the two caused by you know, new events. Um, so you can use the both of those. And also I would suggest Wiki Species. And um, all three of those, Wiki Species, of course, is a part of Wikimedia Foundation and it um, has a um, mandate of listing all the species of the world. It is one of their mandates. It's fully funded by the Wikimedia Foundation. And so go to the highest authority is basically what I'm saying. So the international checklists that are online, that are up to date and are clearly showing how they got their data to where it is. Um, all three of those checklists have um, a complete history of how they got to where they are they show all the references to where they got their information and they give the names accordingly. And so use those names. So if you're not doing taxonomy, use the, use the databases online and they should be the highest database you can get. And in case of turtles, that will be, like I said, the TTWG, Reptile Database and Wiki Species and use the three of those. If this sounds like a career for you, what's your advice, Scott? Basically, um, I initially started out as a zookeeper um, and I worked at Western Plains Zoo in um, Dubbo in Australia. And um, 
I was working with Galapagos tortoises there and I developed a morphometric analysis of giant tortoises to distinguish subspecies, which was always a very difficult thing in Galapagos. Um, these days you wouldn't do it that way. Now you use DNA, but back when I was starting that DNA wasn't available. Um, at that point, um, Arthur Georges took me on as a student um, at the University of Canberra, and I started doing uh, morphological and morphometric work on turtles where he had um, previously done his work on allozymes to identify the different turtles in Australia and start splitting up these problematic groups such as Caledina and Elsaia. And so my work was basically enhancing what Arthur had started doing and he was my supervisor and we described a whole bunch of turtles um, I've now described seven species and three generic group names um, and um, kept going on with it since um, I've now moved to South America because I spent 20 years uh, doing all of this in Australia and I now want to devote that time to South America, which is, I believe, in about the same position Australia was in when I started. So they're about 20, 30 years behind taxonomically. And um, I'm still working with the same family. I've mostly worked with Keeler Day. I have expanded out. I now do some, I do a lot of writing for Wikimedia Foundation. I'm on the Ombuds Commission for them. And I also, do uh, reviewing for Turtle Taxonomy Working Group and um, I'm a curator for Reptile Database. I am also on the International Union of Biological Sciences Working Group for um, global species lists. And what we're trying to do is develop a single list of the species of the world, of all species life. And um, so that's a project we've been doing for about three years, and this is where I've spent a lot of my more recent time. Um, in fact, I have a meeting in Holland in uh, two weeks over that. And so I'm now getting a lot into the more theoretical side of it, um, the more background side, and producing information that can help everybody work with the animals they want to work with. Um, and not just turtles, but um, everything. The um, major advices I would give people is you've got to you've got to stay really focused on what it is you choose you want to do. Um, so if it, if you want to do taxonomy, um, you you will need to focus on that. It's very very difficult to uh, career path in a lot of ways, um, but. It is a very rewarding one. You will need to learn a lot of information. Um, so reading obviously is something you're gonna need to do and read a lot. Um, I mean, everything that comes out on turtles, all the scientific literature, you read everything. And um, you need to go back in time as well. Um, as a taxonomist, we don't just work with the latest, we also work with the first. So we're reading the original publications of um, species that were described in 1794, such as the Eastern Longnecked Turtle. Sorry, I needed a drink. <coughs> anyway, um, 
the other advice I would give people is you've got to um, you've got to follow this um, idea of what it is you want to do, be it taxonomy, conservation, management, whatever, and network into it. Um, you really need to get to know the people who work in this field and um, network with them and be willing to and get to know how your field works, whatever it is you choose to do. And lastly, we talk about the fantastic discovery of a giant tortoise that was thought to be extinct in the Galapagos for over a hundred years. Okay, well, I know the Galapagos looks like this nice little archipelago of islands that you'd think you could just walk around. Um, the island that that tortoise comes from, Isla Fernandina, is actually quite a large island. It's um, uh, several kilometres across. It's very rocky and heavily vegetated, and um, it's also extremely remote. Um, parts of the Galapagos have, um, you know, a population and people living there in uh, the more easterly part of the Galapagos, but Fernandina is way out in the backwater there. And um, it's not an island that is easy to uh, move around on. It is extraordinarily difficult to move around on. The logistics of sending people out there to that island and getting people to walk around that island a lot is extremely expensive and very difficult. And they thought the thing was extinct, so they probably didn't think it was also that worthwhile. Um, so I'm not surprised that it was hard to find. Um, I mean, honestly, this island is so thick with vegetation and lava rock that you could walk past this tortoise um, 20 metres away and you wouldn't see it. And Yeah, I'll just quickly jump in. Did it look much different to the other tortoises, you know, in the area on the different islands? And did it come down to, you know, doing taxonomy, uh, genetics, those kind of things to actually realise that it was the, the, that original species. Um, just interested in that just visually versus, um, you know, other, other aspects of, of quantifying the taxonomy. I saw this animal, um, a photograph of it when it was first captured. And um, this was a very difficult animal to identify um, because the problem is that the it's only known from one specimen um, that had been collected in 1905. And it was a male, an adult male. This particular animal is a female. And Galapagos tortoises do have sexual dimorphism. So the males look different to the females um, in the other subspecies. So it isn't actually that easy to just look at this thing and say it is a Fernandina tortoise. However, um, they did do DNA analysis and have managed to prove that it is the same as the um, holotype. So it is from that island. Uh, there was always the chance it was dropped there by someone else or even washed there because um, they do actually get washed off and float amongst the islands occasionally. But um, so they had to rule all those other things out. And uh, the morphology of the collapse is actually very close and... Um, they are not that different between the islands. I mean, you've got the ones that are considered hooded and the ones that are um, 
you know, saddlebacks and the ones that are domed in shape. Um, I think the best collection of them in Australia were probably the ones at um, probably the ones at um, Dubbo Zoo. Uh, they have several of the different types there, and um, if people wish to go and see them somewhere in Australia, but um, it wouldn't have been easy to um, just identify this this tortoise uh, just because you found it on the island doesn't even mean it's from that island. Um, there are other examples of tortoises found on the wrong island in the Galapagos, but the DNA did, did prove it in the end. We thank Scott for his discussion about turtles from around the world, from past to present. Keep following OneMillionTurtles.com where you can join in community conservation programs and become a citizen scientist and follow us on Facebook. It's good day for now.